here. We're so glad to have you with us. And if you're visiting with us, we want you to know that we consider it a blessing to have you with us, and we invite you back at any opportunity that you have. And uh, we hope that you would uh, feel free to fellowship with us, get to know us, ask us any questions. If you're interested in a Bible study or learning more about this congregation or the Church of Christ, please let us know. We're glad that you're here. And thank you all, you members also, for being here. It's a holiday weekend, and uh, but... <laughs> Sorry, but uh, I was getting signals. <laughs> I misread the signals. <laughs> but uh, we're, so, we're so thankful to be here for our lesson tonight. And uh, tonight uh, we want to look at the subject of what if it's not about talent. So turn with, it, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at the parable of the talents there in Matthew chapter 25. But think about this. What if the parable of the talents isn't about your gifts or abilities? I mean, what if that's not what it is really about, and that's what we've been hearing about? That's, that's, that's what we've been told so often. Maybe because it's low-hanging fruit. I mean, what if we took a closer look Jesus was teaching here and found that uh, it was something else that he entrusted to, that the, the king entrusted to those servants? What if it's not about some abilities or talents or giftedness? What would we do then if it was about something else and even something better? And that's what we want to look at tonight. Now, Matthew records what's called the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. But in Luke chapter 19, 11 through 27, we find a similar parable that's usually referred to as the parable of the minas. In some translations, King James, Revised Standard, and American Standard, and possibly others, they call it the parable of the pounds, okay? Now, let's, we're going to look at both of those, but we are focusing on uh, Matthew 25's account for the reason of the use of the word talent. And so let's look at Matthew 25, 14 through 30, and we want to uh, read through those. You don't mind reading the Bible, do you? Let's read those and make sure, make sure that uh, we have a grasp of those messages. our icebreaker for the evening. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, guys. We'd rather do this and have it, have it work than have it go out. You know, I'll just take this off. <laughs> Looks like a giraffe trying to put, put some clothes on or something. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's look at Matthew chapter 25 and starting in verse 14. Just follow along with me. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, and to another two. To another one, to each according to his ability. See, he's using the word talent. Then he went away. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also 
had the two talents, made two talents more. But he had received the one talent, went and dug it in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had the two talents came forward and said, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and and gathered where I do not have not scattered. Then you ought to have invested money with the banker, and I should have received interest. Verse 28, so take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given, and he, who has, and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so that's Matthew's account. Look at Luke's, look at Luke's account. Go to the other mic. Okay, let's turn those lights down a little bit if we can. Let's uh, go, to, go to Luke's account in Luke 19, 11 through 17. Now listen for differences, okay? It's a different setting, and we're going to look at that. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minus, and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Verse 16. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minus more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a little. You shall have authority over ten cities. Verse 18, And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here's your mina. I've kept what you, uh, I've kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. 
<clears throat> and they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. And I, tell, uh, and I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But everyone who has not, even what he has, will be taken away. For, but as for these enemies of mine, that's that other group who hated him, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now, Matthew and Luke's version of this parable are similar in some ways, but different in others. And some even believe these are two different parables, and some say they're the same with just some slight uh, differences because of the context. Now, let's look at, in Matthew, Jesus tells this parable privately with his disciples. This parable is similar, uh, if you want to look at the broader context, to the parable of the good and wicked servants in Matthew 24. Where a master is, uh, is a, goes away, he leaves his subordinates in charge of his belongings while he's gone. And when he comes back, the faithful servants are blessed and the unfaithful servant is punished severely. And he tells this uh, parable in context of other teachings and parables about being alert and being ready for Jesus to return and about faithfulness uh, to him while he's away. Now in Luke, Jesus tells the parable... He says because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Uh, and it comes right uh, after he ate with Zacchaeus and right before the triumphal entry. Okay? Now, Luke's account really specifically connects this parable to the kingdom of God. Now look at Luke 19, 9 through 10. Let me show you this real quick because it's going to help you get it when we get to the point uh, down the road. Look at Luke 19, 19, 9 through 10. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. See, he's at Jerusalem and they're thinking this kingdom is going to come in power. And he says, today salvation's come to this house since the son of, uh, he's, talking, he's at Zacchaeus' house, since he is also the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see that? He was with Zacchaeus. We always quote Luke 19.10 in isolation. He was with Zacchaeus. He was with sinners. Okay? And he said the Son of Man came to do this, uh, to, to seek and to save the lost. Now look at verse 11. As, he, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. They heard what he just said there at Zacchaeus' house and... Uh, they, he went straight into this parable of the talents. Why? It says here in verse 11, because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now, if you look at Luke 13, the parable of the mustard seed and leaven, and Mark's parable of the growing seed in Mark 4, uh, Jesus taught us that the kingdom of God wasn't going to come with a big boom and bang and a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, you know, uh, snazzy stuff and entertainment, that it was going to grow slowly uh, like that leaven and like that mustard seed and like that growing seed. And it was going to have a small start. And people, that's not what people wanted. They wanted the big, the big show. Now look at um, Luke 19, verse 38. The people proclaim, this is the triumphal entry, the people proclaim, blessed is the king. They're calling Jesus the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But now you get down to verse 41 through 44. Jesus, as king, what's he doing? He's lamenting. He's weeping over Jerusalem because they've rejected him as king. Look at verse 42. 
What would, uh, would that you, Jesus says, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, meaning understanding he was the king, but now they are hidden from your eyes. This day was their, their moment. It was their day. They had Jesus, the Messiah, the king, with them, and they were blind to that day because they rejected Jesus as their king. So because you did not know the time of your visitation, verse 44. So you didn't realize, I'm here now. You were looking for somebody else. You rejected me. Verse 44, this is the day. This is your day of visitation. Okay, so that helps us kind of set up. Now let's look at why do you think uh, the one talent man buried the talent or hid his money and did not put it into the bank? Why do you think he did that on the next slide is our question. Now, the term here for banker also means money changer on the next slide. And they would, what these money changers would do is sit at a table, and you would bring your foreign currency into them, and they would exchange it with local currency. They were money changers, okay? There were different types of uh, bankers and money changers, you know, there was a lot of different kinds of activity. But that's what he means. You should have given it to the money changers because they would also loan out your money and you could make some money on that. And there were different rules about if you could loan or charge interest to Jews or Gentiles or things along those lines. And, but it was clear that they could have gone and done that. There were different ways even to store your money with the bankers. Now, hiding your valuables in the ground wasn't a, a strange thing, a foreign thing. It was a common practice. If we think that only makes sense that people would have done that throughout history, to hide valuables in the ground for safekeeping. They even had laws that would protect uh, things buried in the ground or if someone found it or uh, things like that. So it was definitely a practice to put valuables in the ground somewhere for safekeeping. So they didn't do anything wrong by simply doing that, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. Now, in, in Matthew's account, the one-talent man hid his money in the ground for safekeeping. In Luke's account, the man hides it in a handkerchief. Uh, he did the same thing, though. He hides it. But look at Luke 19, 13. How do we know they weren't supposed to go hide it in the ground? Look at Luke 19, 13. The citizens were told, the servants were told, to engage in business. You see that? That's not hiding it or wrapping it up and putting it somewhere safe. They were told to engage in business with the money that he gave them. It's clear the one talent man was supposed to do that. Now, we see it in Matthew 25 also. It's just not as clear at first. But go back to Matthew chapter 25 and look at verses 14 and 19. In verse 14, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. Okay, so maybe that doesn't fully tell us yet. But look at verse number 19. He says, Now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Well, okay, settled accounts. Well, how do we know that they were still, in Matthew's account, supposed to do something with their talent? Well, let's back up to Matthew chapter 18. This is really interesting. Look at Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 23. There's some similarities with these two parables. Matthew 18, 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to what? Settle accounts. 
with his servants. This is the unforgiving servant parable. So it's clear they weren't supposed to go hide the money and keep it safe. They were supposed to go invest it and make an increase, make a profit with his money while he was away. So let me ask you something, our next question. Is this parable saying something about our talents? Is it saying something about the things we're good at? What's this parable really saying to us about talents? Now, a popular interpretation says that this parable is teaching that God has given us all talents, gifts, abilities, you know, things you're good at, strengths. And you're supposed to, you're supposed to figure those things out and use them to God's glory. That's a popular interpretation. Now, is that truth in and of itself wrong? Is it a good thing? Is it an okay thing to figure out the things you're good at and to do, do a career, hobbies, things like that, that that you're good at? There's nothing in the world wrong with that, is there? But our question is, is that what this is teaching? Because if, if this is teaching something else, we need to know that because there's something we're missing that might even be more powerful than that. And usually it goes that, you know, we're, we goes, goes like this. We're supposed to search for the things that we're good at, take some kind of test, or just figure out the things that we like and that we're good at, let people tell us we try a few things, and then we figure that out, and then we decide, well, I'm going to go to college, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick out a major that's going to uh, be in line with the things that I'm good at. And then I'll get me a career, and I'll just have a job that, uh, is nothing but doing all the things that I'm good at. That sounds like reality, doesn't it? <laughs> Those of you that are, all of us that are out there. That, but, that, you know, but that's, that's kind of the message that we're told. And we're told that, that that's living the dream, that you get your dream job doing your, just the things you love and living the dream lifestyle, and God's going to bless that. And, and all you've got to do is just sprinkle a little bit of glory to God on that, and it's all good. But notice the things that we say we're good at. What is it that we claim to be good at? What, is it, what are the talents that we claim to have? How, how come no one claims to have the talent of sweeping, roofing, things like that? Work in a cash register? Nobody claims those talents. Nobody, you never heard anybody say, I'm really good at working a cash register. I'm great at sweep. I can sweep. You'd never seen anybody sweep like I can sweep. You never heard anybody say, I'm going to pursue a, a career and a whole life in sweeping. You know, people don't say, what do they claim is the things that they're good at? The things that are glamorous, the things that are prestigious, the things that pe people would say, wow. The things that would lead them to success, the things that would make them money. Those are the things we want to be good at, right? Those are the things we want to claim that we're, I'm a great entrepreneur, or I'm a good writer, or I can, I can do this and that. Well, yeah, of course, because those are all great, awesome things to be good at, and you're thinking you're going to use those to make money and have success. And then all of a sudden just say, well, God gave me these, so glory to God. Is that really what Jesus is teaching here, or is he teaching something else? Now, 
Think about this also. How come all of a sudden in this parable, it became about us and our success? You see that? You see what we do to Jesus' parable? All of a sudden, this is about me and what I'm good at and how I'm going to make me some money. You see how quickly we get there? We not, may not want to admit that that's what uh, uh, we teach with that sometimes, but that's what we say with that. That's what we mean. That's what, if I'm a young person thinking of college and thinking of job and career, that's what I'm thinking. Oh, yeah, I've got to figure out my talents, and I've got to go get me a, a, a career in that area make some money in that area. That's not what Jesus is teaching, though. Think about this. How did we come to believe that Jesus was talking about our gifts and abilities in that parable? How did we, we come to that? Who thought of that? Well, you may be interested to know that the only reason we say that about that parable is because of one word, isn't it? The word talent. Okay? Now, the only thing that word meant to them was a weight of money. It didn't mean anything else. When they heard Jesus tell that parable, they weren't thinking the things they were good at. They were thinking the master left them with money and they were supposed to do something with that money. They couldn't have thought anything. In fact, we get our word talent from this passage. We came up with that. Do you see that? Jesus didn't teach that. Man read that into that parable. Now, is the, is the proverb or the truth, if you will, is that wrong? No. It's, it, it's, it's like the saying, uh, right doctrine, wrong text. Yeah, that's a good thing. It's just that's not what Jesus is teaching here. Okay. So let's, let's think about this. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 24. Remember we went over there to the unforgiving servant? But look at verse 24 in Matthew 18. And let me show you how, let me try to prove to you why uh, this isn't talking about the things we're good at. Look at Matthew 18, 24. When he began to settle, settle those accounts, one was brought to him who owed him what? 10,000 talents. Now, how come no one ever teaches that parable is saying that that servant owed that king 10,000 abilities? Why don't we teach that? It is the exact same word. And nobody teaches that that servant owed him 10,000 abilities. He could never repay him with all the gifts and abilities that he owed him. That doesn't even make sense, does it? Now, it was only money to them and could only have meant money to them. And therefore, that's what we've got to understand in our understanding of that today. Now, look at Luke's account. Remember, we looked at that. Let's go over to Luke's account in chapter 19. Luke's parable uses the word minus or pounds in some of the other translations. And that also was a unit of measurement, uh, weight, or currency. Now, in, a, in weight, it was a little more than a pound, okay? So that's how that word pounds was used. Now, how come we don't go over to Luke's account, we don't go over here to Luke's account, and we, say, we see that it says minus or pounds, and look at the King James or American Standard or Revised Standard, and say, oh, that says pounds. And, and we never walk away from that text and say, that means my talents and what I'm good at. We don't do that, do we? 
Because it doesn't make sense, does it? We don't, we don't go over there and, and, and conclude in, in the King James that it says, look, God gave me all these pounds. I'm supposed to use them for his glory and come over here. Look at all these pounds on my body. I'm just going to use them for God's glory. We don't do that, do we? Because it doesn't make sense. Now, it might be a great multi-million dollar weight loss uh, system if you want to come up with that. But that's not what that's teaching. He's not teaching your pounds, your, your weight, or anything like because it's ridiculous, isn't it? That's ridiculous to look at it that way. It's not what the Bible is teaching there. So, we, but yet we go over to Matthew chapter 25, and just because it uses a word that's the same, you know, we have that word in our English, all of a sudden it means our gifts and abilities, and we're supposed to use that for God's glory, figure it out, and go make money and have a happy life, and life is great. And somehow we think that's what it is. So let's ask our question and, and come to a close. What has Jesus, or the master in the parable, entrusted us with? What has he actually entrusted us with? That's where I want you to get it. Look at it. The master entrusted his servants with something. So go there. What did he entrust them with? Well, he entrusted them with money. And he wanted an increase. And then he came back. Well, who is the master in the parable? Jesus is the master in the parable. So if Jesus is the master in the parable, he's leaving them with something, the Christians, his disciples with something, and one day he's coming back and he wants to know, what'd you do with what I left you? Let me see, what'd you do with it? So what did he entrust us with? I want to tell you that what Jesus is entru has entrusted his disciples with is his kingdom and the message of his kingdom. Now think about that. All of a sudden, see, it's not about me and my success and my, my life and all that. It's it, my, my thing and all of that. Now it's about my life serving God. And that doesn't sell very well, does it? Now it's about uh, he's given us his kingdom. See, what's about to happen? He's about to be arrested and the plot's about to happen right after this. They plot to kill him. Right after this, uh, Judas agrees to sell him out. And they arrest him and they crucify him. Jesus knows this, this is my last time with my disciples. It's about to ha i got to tell them something. And I've got to tell them I'm leaving my kingdom with you. What are you going to do with it? I need you to bring an increase in my kingdom. I'm leaving you with the message of my kingdom. And when I come back, I need to know that you've been faithful to my kingdom. That you've worked it. That you've helped it grow. That you've, you've done what you're supposed to do with the message of my kingdom. Now look at, the, look at the servants. They were judged based on their faithfulness to what the master left him. Here's a quote from somebody. To hear the message of the kingdom is not only a privilege, but also a responsibility. And people will be held accountable for what they do with the message. You see that? You see that in the parable? That he's not, it's not about what you, what job, you, does, now think about it. God wants you to be taken care of. God wants to provide for you, all of that. But does it really matter to him if you work at Walmart or Target? I, I mean, is 
You know, you know what I'm saying? Does it really matter to him if you build that business and, and that career just goes or you're over here teaching kindergarten until you retire? Does it, you know, he wants to know what are you going to do with your life while you're here? You say you're a follower of me and you've got my kingdom and my message. Go work your job, but what are you going to do with my kingdom? That's what he's trying to tell us. Now, of course, we don't mean jobs that aren't godly and that you know things like that but uh that's not what we're looking at now now look at the one talent man look at the one talent man the one talent man was wrong uh because he did nothing with the master's property or money he did nothing with it and the master said you could have at least put thrown it and the Greek gives this impression of you could have at least walked by the money changer's table and tossed it on the table and kept walking. And, and it's, it's given this image of that would have taken no effort to just walk by and say, hey, invest this for me. And he's saying, you couldn't even do that the least for my kingdom. And that's why he called him slothful and wicked and lazy servants because they couldn't even do the minimum. Now, then the master, uh, see, the master proves the one-talent man was wrong, and the, ma the one-talent man tries to make up an excuse. Oh, I knew you were a hard man. But he tricks him in his lie, and he says, oh, you knew I was that way? He's not saying he is, and he's not trying to defend himself. He's saying, so you know I'm that way. Then you shouldn't you even more, more so then have invested my money? I mean, if I'm really that way, don't you think you should have for sure gone and invested my money? But you couldn't even do that. Now think about what that's talking to us about with his kingdom. You can't even do something with my kingdom. You're going to take my kingdom. I died, I, I, I died on the cross for this. I didn't have to leave heaven, but I, I died on the cross for this message, for this eternal message. And I'm leaving it with you in your hands until I come back. And you're going to wrap it up in a handkerchief and go bury it in the ground and do nothing with my message. Nothing with my kingdom. He's saying you could at least tell somebody. You could at least do something with it. You see what that says for our service, for our activity? And I don't mean sign up for everything in the world. I just mean we got to tell people about the kingdom. We got to reach people. We got to be teaching people the gospel. That, we got we to do our part to help his kingdom grow because we're accountable for this. We're going to be held responsible for this. I can't say, yeah, but the elders didn't have a program. I, I got to say, me, what did I do? The one talent man couldn't blame anybody. He was responsible for what he did or didn't do. Matthew 25, 26. You wicked and slothful servant. Lazy. Because you couldn't even do anything. The, the, at least go make some kind of profit. You know, produce something in the kingdom. So in both accounts, Jesus was about to be arrested and crucified. He knew his last moments, and he says to his disciples, I'm putting it in your hands. One day I'm going to come back, and I want to know what you do with it. 
I'm going to ask you individually, what would you do with my message? What would you do with the kingdom? And so that's what I want to leave us with tonight. What did you do? What are you doing for the kingdom of God? And that doesn't mean sign up and cook food or do this and that necessarily. We're talking about, make, we're talking about uh, making and growing disciples here. That's what we're talking. We're talking about sharing the gospel and teaching, reaching people and teaching them the gospel, growing the kingdom. That service stuff is fine, but we got to teach people the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many people are just waiting for somebody to tell them, connect with them? Jesus said to his disciples at one point, he, he stopped them and he said, they were, they were in, a, in a village, I think. He stopped them and he said, look, see all these people? The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. He, he's saying, do you even see them? Do, do you see these people right here? He's telling his disciples because all this time he knows he's about to leave and he's leaving it in their hands. Are you treating the kingdom like you should? Helping expand it, working in it. Are you being faithful in the kingdom? And also, a powerful thing in his parables, are you being ready yourself for his return? Because he says, I'm coming. I'm coming back. What'd you do with my kingdom? So I want to encourage us. Let's be faithful to the kingdom. This is a wonderful congregation. Wonderful people here. Let's continue. Let's never lose that. Never lose. What? 30 years down the road. Let's never lose that. Because our little kids, our little babies are going to grow up. We need them to know they can come to the Oldham Lane congregation. And there's going to be a place where they're fervent, fervently serving in the kingdom. Let's be faithful to the kingdom and its message until Jesus comes, until our master returns. So if we can help you in any way this morning, this evening, if you have a, a, a need, a prayer request, we can minister to you, or if you would like to study the Bible, we want you to know we're here for you, and we always are. You can come forward now as we together stand and sing.